everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Lee Evie Korean Drama Podcast Show. So I'm kind of freaking out for two reasons. One is it's raining heaps today so I've had to wait to do this podcast and I don't know if it's going to start storming again and if it does I guess you guys are going to hear a crazy rainstorm. But two I'm freaking out because the drama that I'm going to be chatting about this week is called Nokdu Flower. Has anyone fucking seen this drama? Oh my gosh. It is so intense. Um, it sort of has killed me. <laughs> it's just so intense. But it is also, I think, objectively, one of the best dramas that I've ever seen. Like, I think this is one of the most well-made, well-written, well-filmed, high-quality K-dramas ever. <laughs> And I've watched a lot of K-dramas, so I feel like I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> um, I thought this show was incredible. Like, it's really, really amazing. But I've got to say, it is not an easy watch. It's very, very heavy. Um, it's relating to a lot of true historical events that are just beyond heavy. Um, but I'm so glad I watched it. I'm so glad that I have this, you know... I was going to say slightly deeper understanding, but like, you know, this is my introduction to this, this period of history um, in, you know, Korean history. And I'm so glad to have understanding around just another piece of that puzzle, I think, um, which feels so important. And I think must, I don't know, I feel like the ramifications of all of everything, <laughs> the, his the true history in this drama just must have rippled on, you know, even to just be a huge part of, I can only imagine, like, Korean identity now. These these events are incredible, but they are absolutely heartbreaking. All right, so I'm making no sense. <laughs> but basically, this is a show that towards the end made me cry so much that I had one episode left and I put it on hold for a whole week to psych myself up to watch it because... I was just crying, I was sobbing, and I just felt so sad. Um, and, you know, the main characters, like the main, main trio in this drama are all fictional, but a lot of the side characters are real people and you really do follow along with their lives and what happened to them to the, to the point where, you know, you see a photo of the real guy. So, I mean, this is like, this is heavy stuff. But at the same time, this drama, Nocturne Flower, is 
so worth your time. It is so good. Um, so this drama is from 2019. It is a historical, it's a saguk drama, and it is set in 1894. So the very, basically the end Oh, the end bunch of years um, and the lead up to the very end of the Joseon dynasty. So like Korea at this point when the drama begins is just in this state of flux. Like I cannot even imagine what it would have been like and felt like to live through these times or, you know, a time like that just w with change just oh, rolling on in in just the most in just crazy ways it's so full-on anyway I keep saying it's so full-on but it is so full-on oh my gosh anyone who's watched this drama will know that that's true uh so do I, did I say that it's 24 episodes because that's what it is that's what it is for sure um so overall like I've said um I thought this drama was top-notch it's just such high quality it's very like it looks really beautiful it has this really atmosphere kind of authentic grit to it I want to say like you really feel like you're watching something that is real like and I feel like so many historicals even when they're serious they can have this kind of sweepingly romantic almost unreality to them um, but this drama Noctu Flower this feels very much set in real life it, it's so darkly gritty um, and it really really explores um, I don't know the psych of people who are going through some really really intensely horrific things and you know not everyone is a hero under that kind of pressure and I really appreciated the drama's exploration of I don't know, uh, yeah, just of people going into very dark places. I think the writing in this show was amazing, like overall, but uh, particularly the character stuff, I just found it fascinating, I think. Um, so the other thing I guess I wanted to stay, say before I kind of get started into everything, so you know, I always knew this drama was going to be like super, super heavy, um, and that's because it is dealing with you know, the lead up to the Japanese occupation in Korea, which is this very dark and very sensitive time in Korean history. And I've watched a few dramas that are set, you know, kind of in or just before that um, occupation period. So I'm thinking about Chicago Typewriter and, of course, Mr. Sunshine, which is another absolute heartbreaking drama. Um, and also uh, Gakshital or Bridal Mask as well. Um, and one thing that I think, say, Mr. Sunshine, Gakshital, and also um, Chicago Typewriter, or, you know, the past, past life section that is set in that occupation period in Chicago typewriter. One thing that all those stories have in common is that they are unbelievably tragic. And I have been under the impression for a while, like after watching those, I guess, and kind of seeing that pattern, that I've kind of come to realize that a drama set in that time period, it's very hard to give it a happy ending. Because what is the happy ending? You know, the people get to survive and be happy, but the country doesn't, you know, and you know, there is so much pride and patriotism, I think, in these kind of stories and following along the ordinary Korean people fighting back against, you know, a very dark time in their history. And I don't know, I like, I guess that's what I was expecting from Noctu Flower, you know, like, 
that really, really dark ending. And in a lot of ways it does, but it kind of floored me a little bit, like really surprised me because the, it kind of has this note of hope at the end. And I thought it was really interesting because it's the first time that I've seen a drama set during this period that chooses to have, like, it goes through all the dark stuff. Like, there's so much tragedy, but it does have this seed of hope, this looking towards this, the future, this idea of young people, you know, carrying this this spirit of, you know, the righteous army, basically, who will never give up their country, no matter what. And it's so... Oh, I don't know. It was so moving and so impactful, that ending, even though it was kind of weird tonally. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about the ending at the very start. Oh, my gosh. I'm all over the place because this drama, it's intense. Okay, so why I watched it. Um, so weirdly enough, when it first came out in 2019, I was super, super interested in this drama because one of the leading actors is Yoon Chi Yoon. And Yoon Chi Yoon is just one of those dudes that I will follow around K-drama land. Um, I think there might be one or two dramas out of his, you know, he must have done 15 dramas or something by now that I haven't at least tried. I don't watch all his stuff all the way through, but I definitely give him a very good go because I Love him. I adore him. He's fantastic. Um, so this this drama, uh, Nocturne Flower, came out in 2019, and I was straight on the bandwagon because I was like, Yoon Shi Yoon is in this drama. Uh, and I remember watching it, and it's really, really weird because um, I watched up to episode 15. I was in love with it. I was just like, I thought it was so good and so incredible. And I was really learning about all this, you know, really amazing history for the very first time. It was my first introduction um, to the kind of historic events and characters or, you know, heroes, whatever, um, you know, these iconic heroes in Korean history that this drama is based around. Um, but it just happened to, when I was watching, uh, coincide with me starting this K-drama podcast. Um, so apparently I started it in 2019. Apparently, I can't even remember now. It's been ages. <laughs> um, and I made the mistake of talking about the drama on the podcast before I'd finished watching it. And I was back then, you know, like, because I, I kind of cover one drama per episode, I hadn't really got into, you know, my proper format, I suppose, or how I wanted to kind of chat about dramas and, and organize my thoughts. And because then I was like, oh, I better watch more dramas so I can talk about different dramas on the podcast. I kind of just never picked up Nocti Flower again. And, you know, more and more time passed to the point where I was like, I really, really want to watch this drama, but I'm going to have to start from the very beginning. I already watched 15 episodes and I was so under the pump with like keeping up with the podcast back then, because this is before I took like my little end of season breaks, which have just made my life so much easier now to keep up. Um, you know, I was really struggling to watch enough shows to talk about something new every single week. So I just never went back and watched the rest of Nocti Flower, um, which is insane because it is incredible. And it is, oh, look, I don't want to say it's addictive because it is heavy. And I don't know if it's if addictive is the right word, but it is compelling and it's moving and you are invested in the character's and also you are invested in, you want to know, you want to know how this huge nation changing, you know, events, you want to know how they're going to play out and how they're going to impact Joseon. It's fascinating stuff. 
Uh, so anyway, that's why, you know, I kind of watched halfway back then and didn't continue. And I've always meant to, always. So I finally, you know, I, these days I always try and watch at least one historical, um, you know, at a time. I'm usually watching like five dramas at a time, but at least one of them needs to be historical, if not more. Um, so I, yeah, I went back and I picked this up and I'm so glad that I did. I think, you know, I don't know if this will be a drama for absolutely everyone just because it is very gritty and it's very serious. Um, but I would say that, you know, it's still a K-drama. It still feels like a K-drama, um, but definitely on, you know, the grittier end. But if you are someone who likes historicals or is interested at all in Korean history or, you know, wants to see a powerhouse performance from any of the actors that are in this drama, uh, you should definitely watch it. I think it's well worth your time. Um, I think it's really, really good. Um, it's a very beautiful drama, um, considering how gritty and tragic it is. It is a very beautiful drama. Um, so I'm just quickly going to talk about the casting before I start telling you guys a little bit about the plot. Um, so this drama has kind of a trio that are all lead characters. It's very interesting. So the trio, who are the, the main leads, are fictional characters. And they're sort of, you know, people caught on the tides of change. And then there's sort of a secondary um, lead character who is a real person from that period, as well as like lots of other real people peppered throughout. Um, so I guess I would say the main star of Noctu Flower is the actor Jo Jong-sook. Uh, jo uh, so he plays a character called Baek Yi-kang. So Jo Jong-sook is, of course, the very famous actor who I think I first saw him in Oh My Ghostess. Um, which I just, that drama didn't fully connect with me. Um, so I, yeah, I want to say I didn't love him, even though, you know, I thought he did a very good job in it. I just wasn't a big fan of that character, even though I know he's very precious to a lot of people. So please forgive me. <laughs> we all have very different taste. Um, and then I saw him, oh, so he's in Hospital Playlist, uh, which as I record this, I've only seen the first season of, and I loved him in that. I thought he was great. Very playful kind of performance. Um, and seeing Jo Jong-sook in Nokdu Flower was really like, I was like, oh, this is why this man is a star. Like, this is why he's lead actor material. He's so good in this. He, ha he just has, he's completely different to how I've ever seen him before. There's just this like gravelly gruffness to his voice. And the he, I don't know, he feels so like, solid and weighty in his performance I think that's probably a weird thing to say I know nothing about acting so this is just like my weird impressions but um I don't know I just he's very charismatic and and that's for someone who at the start of the drama is you know he's a right asshole but he still manages to feel like this important charismatic kind of person that you want to follow along on his journey even when at the beginning, you don't really like this dude. Uh, so that was Jo Jong-sok playing Baek Yi-kang as the lead actor. Um, so sort of a second male lead, but this is not like a love triangle situation at all. Um, so playing um, Yi-kang, the main character's uh, half-brother. So Yi-kang is... Our main character, Yi Kang, is an illegitimate son, meaning he is the son of a middling kind of government worker. So not a noble, but like a middling government worker and a slave woman. So he has no social standing whatsoever. He's basically just like the lowest of the low, but he is free. Um, he's But he's illegitimate. 
So that's Yi Kung, and he's basically a thug at the start of the drama. Very unlikable dude. Um, and he has a half-brother who is his younger, legitimate brother, played by the incredible, lovely, wonderful, and very handsome actor <laughs> Yoon Chi Yoon. You can tell that I like him. <laughs> uh, putting in, like, just the performance. Like, this whole character just fascinated me, and I really love Yoon Chi Yoon, and he's wonderful and it was almost kind of hard to see him play a character that I think really goes to the depths of oh, everything like the stuff this man does is so intense like but so fascinating the way this character is written and I think Yoon Shiyun did such a good performance um so his character's name is Becky Hon um and also, so the female lead is played by the actress Han Ri, who I love. Oh, and I should say, like, Yoon Shi-yoon, if you don't know, he was in Train recently, which was, I think, my favourite K-drama of 2020, like a gritty detective one. Yoon Shi-yoon's also been in heaps of other dramas that I really love, including Flower Boy Next Door, if anyone's watched or heard of that from, like, 2011. Anyway, I've been following this man around K-drama land for a long time. And that's all. I'll stop talking about it, I promise. Okay, so the female lead is Hanya Ri. Um, she plays a character called Song Jain. Uh, Song Jain is a merchant, and at the beginning, she is like, she's into money. And fair enough, like, she's a woman going out there being a cool business lady and making loads of dough, but obviously her priorities change as the drama progresses. And, you know, their country gets invaded. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot for her to kind of deal with. Uh, Hanya Ri is an actress that I really, really love. Um, she's currently, and I still haven't seen it, but she's starring in the American movie Minari, which I think is just cleaning up at the awards alongside the very amazing American actor Stephen Yun, who I love. He's so good. Um, so that's really cool. It's a very big career boon for Hanya Ri. Um, Hanya Ri has also been in um, Hello, My Twenties. Is that the right? Yeah. I know that one's oh, something of youth, tale of youth, I don't know, couch of youth, house of youth. I don't know what that drama's called. I've just totally blanked. Um, it's got two different names. Um, and she plays one of the, it's kind of an ensemble cast in that. That's uh, that, that drama has two seasons and is amazing, by the way. Also, I have episodes on it if you want to find out what it's about. Um, so, and then I guess another character that I've got to mention is the real life hero um, in Korean history, John Bong Joon. So that's the guy's real name and he's played by the actor Choi Musong. Um, Choi Musong is an older like actor and he you like you totally will recognize him. Um, he's in I can't remember which of the reply series it is. I think reply 1988 he plays um, Tex dad, you know super quiet, big kind of giant quiet dude and he's you know plays dads and stuff like that in everything. Um, he's very good in this. Like he's so, you know, he's playing this character that basically changes Joseph, like changes the face of their whole kingdom. It's unbelievable. Um, and I really liked his performance. He's so quiet and gentle and reserved. You know, he barely ever speaks above like, you know, a soft voice so that when he does, like, you feel it like so he's very very good in this role there's heaps and heaps of other faces quite a lot that um i recognize from being in a zillion other dramas like so many um including everyone's favorite ajoshi um kim sung ho is the actor and i feel like he just plays this like lovable but like lethal kind of ajoshi
Kobayashi character in, I don't know, City Hunter, Kingdom, this. Um, he was also in, bloody hell, what's that drama with that dude? <laughs> anyway, he played the same character in that one as well. He's very lovable in everything, and he is in this too, until... Yes, well, I'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> All right, so um, that was a huge waffle to get started. Um, and now I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about the plot and setup of this drama. All right, so I'll tell you guys a little bit what I can about the setup of Noctu Flower. This drama is very heavily plotty. There are a lot of different threads going on and a huge amount gets covered in the course of these 24 episodes. So I feel like I'll have a lot to say about the setup, but really I'll only be able to touch on, you know, the barest minimum of what happens in this show. Um, also, I'm just going to call the, you know, the main two dudes by by their names, um, but I hope it doesn't get confusing because obviously they're brothers, which means they both share a syllable in their first name, which is Yi, so I hope it's not too confusing for listeners. Um, so what I might do is call our lead character, played by Cho jong Sok, as Baek Yi-Kang. I'll just keep calling him Baek Yi-Kang. And then Yoon Chi yoons character, the legitimate brother, the younger legitimate brother, I will call Yi Hon. Um, so hopefully that'll make sense. All right. So the drama starts in this town in kind of kind of the south of Korea, um, and it's a smaller town called Gobu. I think that's what it's called, right? Gobu, Gabo, Gabo, Gabo. I feel like I should have looked that up. Let me just see. Uh, does it say? Does it say? No. That's great. Um, so I could Google it. But I'm not. Anyway, so it starts off in this small town <laughs> in the south of Korea. Uh, so it's kind of like a rural town, the kind of place that would have, you know, you know, one or two kind of noble families. And then it has a magistrate and a government office. And it has a lot of farmers and peasants and merchants, that kind of stuff. And we open with this dude who is, he's the dad. Well, I'm just going to call him the dad, basically. But he's a secretary at the local government office. And we find out that secretaries are, so this is an older guy, um, played by the actor Park Hyo-kwon. Um, I hated this guy. I hated him so much. So I call him Secretary Beck, but he's the dad. Um, so we find out that secretary, so he's very of like middle class. So like he's above the kind of peasants on the street. Um, but he is not a noble for sure. Um, which bars him from ever kind of rising up, getting promoted, having more opportunities. Um, we also find out, um, that a lot of government workers in positions like that do not make any money. So the government doesn't give them any money. So this is something that was set up. I read about it in one of those history books I was reading, um, and I can't fully remember all the details, but when Joseon was founded in 1392, it was basically modeled on the founding of Ming. And Ming was designed under the first, I think like emperor or whatever, um, designed it in this way to kind of kind of stop corruption and to make every like part of his government self-sufficient. So the idea was he'd set a garrison of soldiers off, I don't know, walk or wherever, but they would have to, you know, while they're not drilling and I don't know, saving the country with swords, they would have to farm their own food. And therefore, you know, you'd have a government um, office like with a magistrate and a secretary and they would have to be self-sufficient. They would have to, um, you know, make their own food and stuff. So he, that he wasn't paying everyone 
from the central government. And this was a way for him to, you know, make money there. And so it worked, apparently, under this first Ming emperor. Apparently, it was great or whatever. I don't know. Um, and then, of course, as soon as the next emperor came along and the next one, and it starts being generations, the whole thing slid into insane corruption, like insane. So all these like government officers are often, you know, out in the sticks and they're not they don't get a wage at all. So they're either living in poverty or they're stealing from the people. So they're getting everyone's taxes and they're skimming. They're pretending that, you know, they're sending all the taxes into the, the you know, the central government, but they're not, they're keeping it. So unfortunately it was a system that, I don't know, it sounds very like utopian and wonderful, everyone being self-sufficient, but it didn't work. And, you know, Joseon copied the same system. And this is why the Joseon government and, you know, all its offshoots, it was just rife corruption. Like it was insane. And we're talking about now with this drama, Nocti Flower, this is 1894. So this is at the tail end of Joseon. And by this point, they've gone through something like 200 years. And during that time, I think they had like two good kings. Everyone else has been an absolute like useless puppet king. Um, the corruption is insane. The courtiers and ministers are basically ruling the country and it's all about factional infighting. And the people are just pushed so low, like the people in the countryside, the poverty and the starvation. And also apparently they basically had 200 years of recurring, I think, smallpox pandemics. So like this is just hell. It is complete hell, this world that these characters are living in. And I think Nocti Flower does a very good job of looking at the common people and making you really realize that this was not, you know, these people, so many of them were not even really living. You know, they were just alive and then they were dying ridiculously young. Like they're really grounded to the ground. Um, so this guy, this secretary, you know, he's not making an income. He's this dad. Um, dude, he's the father, Secretary Beck. <laughs> um, so he's working for the magistrate and his whole thing is to squeeze the money out of everybody in every direction that he can. He will bow to the nobles because he has to, but he will suck up to them and he will try and get everything out of them that he can. Um, and if he can, he'll fuck them over as well. So he is stealing money from the people and he's using his uh, illegitimate son who we find out this gross man has basically raped one of his slaves when she was extremely young and now she's treated like shit by everybody and this is our main character Becky Kung's mother so that's all very bleh and disturbing so I just hated this guy so much. So Secretary Beck. Um, so he is kind of making all this money from the people by using his illegitimate son, um, Becky Kung, our main character, played by Cho Jung Suk, who is, I don't know how old he is, like, but, you know, he's a grown up dude and he's a total thug. Basically, because, you know, his father has given him this name, Yi Kung, sharing a syllable with his legitimate son and, um, the rest of his family, so like his, I guess, lawful wife and his, you know, uh, legitimate daughter and all that, they hate Becky Kung. So everyone calls him No Name. So this is our lead character. So basically, he's not even allowed to be known by his name. And this act of take, like, the idea of names in this drama is this huge recurring theme throughout the whole story about, you know, a name humanizes somebody. You take away someone's name, you are removing the fact that you are looking at them as a human being. And so, you know, our main character, No Name, is this 
thug who's living like a dog. People basically call him a dog. Everyone, you know, all the people are terrified of him because he is scary as hell. He's walking around the village. He's taking money from people. He's bashing up people. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't seem to display any remorse. And this is basically another big theme of this drama is like, I guess like a father like this, Secretary Beck has his clutches in both sons and his just the tragedy of it is so far reaching. And there's this idea that until they break away from this man, there is no hope for their future. So our main character, no name, Becky Kung, is just, he's awful. He's the worst. Um, but we do find out that he has one soft spot and that is his younger brother. So the drama opens with Yi Hon, uh, played by Yoon Shi Yoon, coming back from Japan. So he has been in Japan being educated at a university. So I found this really fascinating because Yi Han, when we meet him, you know, he's very refined, very cultured, very educated and extremely um, idealistic. Like he, he really wants to believe in change. Like, you know, he's the son of a secretary. He can never be anything, but he's gone and he's got himself educated. He, he wants this other future. And his father, Secretary Beck's biggest dream in the whole world is for Yi Hun to rise all the way up to be a minister, despite his lowly class. So this is impossible in the Joseon of the past, but the world is changing and his father is willing to bribe everyone in sight to give his son that opportunity. So the interesting thing to me about Yi Han at the very beginning of the drama is he is very rejecting of his dad's like way of looking at the world. His dad's like, I'm going to step on everyone to get what I want. That's how his, his dad has got by and that's how his dad has amassed such wealth. And Yi Han is very like against that. He wants to you know, have idealistic change. He wants to make a better world. He wants to be part of that world. Um, but at the same time, you know, he went to Japan and studied at a university with the money that he knows where his father has gotten this money from. He knows how his father is treating other people. So I really liked that kind of contradiction, I suppose, in him being willing to accept these things because it's what he needs to as far as he can see, you know, hopefully change the world for the better. That's his goal. Um, so uh, Becky Kung, or no name, uh, you know, he's so pleased to see Yi Han, who's come back from overseas. And Yi Han is very, you know, he loves his brother and he's so kind to him, I guess, in a way that, uh, you know, in these very class divide kind of places where, so Yi Kung, uh, Becky Kung cannot eat in the main house. He cannot eat at the same table as his father and his sister and his, you know, his um, stepmother or whatever. Like he's not allowed to do those things. But Yi Han comes back from Japan and will go into the slave quarters and eat with Becky Kung and his slave mother. And he's very kind to them and he loves them and he treats Becky Kung like he is a brother called Becky Kung and not a thug, nothing dog called no name. So Becky Kung is, you know, he loves his brother for the way that his brother treats him. But Yi Han begins to, you know, he's back from his 
you know, years away or whatever, and he starts seeing again that Becky Kang is, you know, he's running around the streets, he's bashing up helpless people like old ladies and shit and kids. Like it's, he's an awful dude. Um, and Yihan says to him, like, you need to get away from our freaking evil father because he has his clutches in you and you need to live as Yi Kang. Like he's so disappointed in this thug that Becky Kang has become that Yi Han is like, you need to live as this real person, Yi Kang. He sees the human in Becky Kang and he encourages Becky Kang to be a human. And this really hits Becky Kang hard, but he doesn't really know how to do it. Like he really doesn't know. Um, so meanwhile, what happens? I don't know. So much happens at the start, but I guess I will mention uh, John Bong Joon. So in the same small town, John Bong Joon is basically gathering an army. Uh, he has the local nobles on side, including this particular scholar who is um, Yi Han's old master. So this is a very high up noble scholar who lives in the town who taught Yi Han, I'm going to guess as kind of a charity philanthropy kind of thing, like teach someone of a lower class, educate them in the classics. Um, but Yi Han has seen this as this great kindness that this, this amazing scholar of such noble birth has treated him like a human being and I said bean but I meant being <laughs> obviously and taught him you know all this um or educated him and Yihan looks up at this noble scholar like you know like the father that he wished he had he's the person that Yihan respects most in the whole world and idolizes um so this scholar is working together with John Bong Joon so John Bong Joon I think he I don't know what he is like he just in the drama at least he seems very like a peasant like a farmer or something like that I'm not actually really sure I can't remember I feel like he was working in an apothecary or something at the beginning anyway he's not like a super high class dude um, but he's got the local nobles on side and he's sort of he's rising up the peasant people for an uprising in this town because the local magistrate and, you know, Secretary Beck, they're just they've gone too far. They're trying to I think I can't even remember, but like tax particular rice things or something like they're basically trying to starve out everyone and everyone's going to die. So they decide to do something about it. Um, so John Bong Joon rises up with his people and he marches on, you know, like the magistrate's office and stuff. And it's all pretty full on because his aim is to definitely, you know, kill some people, including the very terrible Secretary Beck. But Becky Kung, or no name, definitely doesn't want his dad to die. It's such a complex relationship between these men. Like Secretary Beck wants to use Becky Kung as, you know, just use him up and not treat him as a human. But there is a part of him that loves his son. Like it, it's there for sure. And Becky Kung is I just think he can't see any other way to live. And he loves his father, even though realistically his father doesn't treat him well. Um, and so he's desperate to save uh, Secretary Beck. And I think he's been, I don't know, Secretary Beck might have, he's been wounded anyway. I don't know if he was shot or stabbed up. Something happened to him. <laughs> and Becky Kong's like dragging him around town. This whole like sequence in the drama is incredible. It looks amazing. You know, just like all these people rising up with torches, you know, fire walking through the streets. It feels, uh, I don't know. It's very like a 
atmospheric, but it looks incredible. It looks so moody and dark. And I don't know, the scene had such a big impact. It really feels like the beginning of something big, like something really big. You feel like the role of change coming through. Um, so, uh, Becky Kong, you know, manages to hide his dad, but he, I can't even remember what happens exactly because it's, you know, 24 episodes a long time ago I watched it, but Becky Kong kind of drags his wounded dad into like, I think the, the local like merchant inn where all the traveling merchants and peddlers go and stay in between, you know, they go from town to town selling their shit or delivering their shit or whatever. And he meets Song Dian. So Song Dian is the daughter of a merchant. So merchants were a really interesting class I think in Joseon because they certainly weren't nobles and they were common people but a lot of them ended up making a lot of money some of them obviously not all of them um, but like if you were successful you could make a lot of money and it's a very interesting thing because not all nobles in Joseon had money you know like they they couldn't really earn money so if they weren't landed um, or, you know, a minister or whatever and given gifts of land, they, there's no real income. So it's just a very interesting thing, I think, with merchants being slightly outside of this very rigorous sort of class system. Um, but anyway, uh, Song Jae-in is, I want to say that she is a very ambitious young woman. You know, her dad who runs this merchant group is quite elderly, he's ailing, and she has been taught her whole life that money is everything. Money is where it's at. And, you know, she has a lot of freedoms that other women don't really have. And she is just a go-getter. She's out to make money. So for whatever reason, she's come to this town to, you know, make some money. And I can't remember it all, but she's sort of been rolling around and meeting with some of the characters before this. And her and Becky Kung do not get along when they first meet. Um, they've had, a, I think by this point already, really bad run-in. Um, but Becky Kung manages to convince her that, you know, he'll hide his dad in her inn. And um, they kind of like, it's quite flirty, actually, even though, you know, Secretary Beck's like lying on the ground, bleeding out or whatever. <laughs> kind of funny. Um, so anyway, you know, that's how they meet. And they have, you know, a big love story in the whole drama, which is, you know, there's so much tumultuous stuff going on. It's very hard for them to kind of meet on the same page, let alone even have the opportunity to get their act together. And I did really enjoy their love story. Um, so what happens with this big uprising is that Don Bong Joon basically takes over the city. You know, he takes over the magistrate's office and they send word to the central government, you know, back in Hanyang or Hansong or whatever it's called at this point, Seoul, um, that this is what they've done. And, you know, they don't want to go any further than this, but what they want is reform. They Well, what they want at this point is the corruption to stop. They want the, the corrupt individuals in this local government to be you know, punished and expelled. And they want a new magistrate who's going to be better. And then they agree that they'll disband their army and they'll stand down. Um, so the king does send a new magistrate. And at first, this new magistrate's all like, oh, sorry, I'll get on my knees. I'm going to apologize to you guys. And then literally, you know, once they disband the army within like two minutes, of course, the corruption returns. It's worse than ever. Secretary Beck, they find out he survived and he returns and he's even worse to all the people because he's so angry. And so in the end, they push the common people, like the corruption and all the government officials push the common people to such an extent that, you know, John Bong Joon decides to raise his army again. And he's very well respected by the people. But this time, the noble, you know, the noble scholar who is Yi Han's mentor 
refuses to join. He says that this is going too far. Like before he was, the scholar decided to join the rebellion because he thought the local government was you know, rife with corruption, but he feels that doing this, this time, is sort of against the king, and that's too far for him. Um, so he kind of abandons the cause, and Don Bong Joon rises up with an army, they take over, and then thus begins, well, that's not really a thing you can say, is it? Thus begins, thus began? Anyway, <laughs> who knows what I'm talking about? Um, but basically, he takes over the town again, and this time, um, they capture Becky Kung, or No Name, as he's known at this point. And Becky Kung is hated by all the people. So he's like basically strung up in the middle of the square. He's about to die. Um, and then his mum turns up and is trying to like plead on his behalf. And John Bong Joon walks over and basically stabs Becky Kung in the hand. And he says to Becky Kung, this is the time, like this is the moment that No Name dies. And he's really giving Becky Kung a choice. Like you need to kill off that part of you that has been so bad, that has done these bad things, that has, you know, hurt all these people. And you need to live as Yi Kung if you want to be alive. Because if you choose to continue to be no name, you are going to die. Like no one is going to allow this to happen. Um, so all this crazy stuff happens and Yi Kung like ends up murdering some dude that used to be his friend, which was, you know, Super nice. <laughs> Wasn't that nice? It's very bloody and awful. Uh, he ends up on the run and, you know, like, um, everyone thinks he's murdered someone. They're trying to get him. And he, by this point, John Bong Joon has taken to the hills with a peasant army and he's getting ready for, like, full-on uprising, you know, battle. It's really, really intense. And the general gist of the drama from this point is that Becky Kung chooses to stop living as no name, as, you know, a dog, as a non-human, and live as Becky Kung. And in order to do that, he needs to walk away from his father, who, you know, has offered him a higher position, and he ends up joining John Bong Joon and his um, righteous army. And this is a really hard thing for him to do because there's a lot of people in that army who hate his guts. But he manages to, you know, through all these different circumstances and events, eventually win people over, gain the trust of the righteous soldiers and become, you know, eventually a leader. But there's, you know, a shit ton of stuff that happens, obviously, <laughs> before that. Um, so I found it really fascinating, uh, Becky Kung's journey from... Being someone who didn't even consider himself a human being and therefore didn't need to act like a human being and had no remorse for the way that he treated people. And yet you can see that, you know, this this has stemmed from his own childhood of, you know, being this illegitimate son of a slave and getting treated by his his dad, Secretary Beck. Secretary Beck is basically said to Becky Kung when he was a little boy, like, you be my thug, you bash up this person, you murder this person, or, you know, you and your mom are done, like you're out. Like, and that has been what he's had as a father and as love. It's just, you can see how he became the way that he did. Um, and it's very, very interesting watching him change and how, in a way, how staunchly idealistic he becomes of the future and these things that he wants. Um, and I, I don't know, I really, really enjoyed this journey. Um, so this is his journey, like, into a better place. And meanwhile, the other main story thread of the whole drama is Yi Hon's, so Yoon Chi Yoon's character, Yi Hon's journey in the opposite direction. 
uh, very complex. So like none of this stuff straightforward, but uh, Yihan's character basically the most interesting stuff happens um, during or like after, I don't know, one of the uprisings or whatever, um, evil secretary Beck, so mean dad, um, goes and gets uh, Yi Hun's mentor, the noble scholar, and whatever reason, a whole bunch of lead up, gets this guy in jail, gets him being tortured, basically. And secretary Beck, who is of a much lower class than, you know, this scholar, this noble scholar, suddenly in this particular situation has a huge amount of power over this noble scholar. And what he wants is this noble scholar to agree to let his sister, so he has like, you know, a maiden younger sister um, called, I think her name's Myungshim. Um, Secretary Beck wants Myungshim to marry his son, Yihan. Um, and this would be a huge boost to Yi Han's uh, class to get accepted into such a high noble family would basically open doors for Yi Han, potentially even into Kanyang, potentially into the palace as a minister. And this is his dad's greatest dream. And also, luckily, Myungshim, the sister, is actually already completely in love with Yihan. Yihan is much more reticent, but you get the impression that that's because this is beyond his wildest dreams. He never would have looked at her. He never would have thought that someone of his status could ever look at her or speak to her directly or anything like that. So she is sort of the one making overtures towards him because she's heard that her brother has agreed that they will get married. But the reason that the noble scholar brother has agreed to let his sister marry Yihan is because he was getting tortured to death. And the fact that he gave in uh, to these demands poisons this man, like poisons him. And on top of that, he realizes, and I think his whole character, this scholar noble guy, I, I haven't bothered to name him, but whatever, <laughs> um, his whole character journey in this drama is also fascinating. And I think he represents um, at this time in Korean history, the noble people, like, you know, the noble Yangban class who are holding on with both hands to the past and to the class system and the way things were, because the country is kind of, you know, Joseon at this point is getting encroached on all sides by nations that are many of them in stages of modernization or already, you know, modern, whatever. Um, and of course, with modernization comes the breakdown of class systems. And so these nobles who have things the way that they like them, they live comfortably, they're pandered to, you know, they don't want things to change. And I really like the idea that this scholar noble guy, like to me, he represents that whole probably idea that would have been so strong among that class at this time, which is hence, you know, why all these um, farmers and, you know, all these... Um, slaves and stuff are rising up because things will never change with these people in charge. Um, but also interesting with this scholar noble guy, um, you know, obviously he's been very kind to Yihan in the past. He's educated Yihan, he's taken him on as a student, he's mentored him. And, you know, Yihan always thought that was because this scholar noble guy you know, he didn't think much about class. He didn't think that Yihan was, you know, inferior, that he was treating Yihan like a human being. But now that Yihan is about to marry the scholar noble guy's sister, 
he changes his tune. And I think a part of the scholar noble dude, I keep calling him that, <laughs> um, hates himself for this in a weird way, or at least that comes out later in the drama. Like, I don't think he likes realizing that he has this level of prejudice in him, but also he cannot move away from it. And he gets worse and worse and pettier and pettier about it. Um, Yihan loves this guy. And Yihan is kind of getting ready to marry Myungshim. He cannot believe his luck. Life is going really well. Again, it's going well because his evil dad has done something evil and Yihan is accepting it, which again is interesting to me because he's such a good noble character at this point. But there is that undercurrent of rottenness to the, the opportunities that he's getting. Um, but Yihan is very, you know, he really likes Myungshim. Um, his life is going in a really good way. And suddenly a bunch of soldiers turn up and they say, you are conscripted. You need to go join the conscri conscription like army because the royal army is coming from Hanyang or Hansong or whatever Seoul is called at this point. Um, they're marching here because, you know, there's a peasant uprising and you need to go to war, basically. And Yihan's like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but he goes off and he has this like amazing gun. And it turns out that when he was in Japan, he, you know, trained on this modern weapon, this uh, very modern gun that practically doesn't really exist in Joseon at this point, because weapons wise, um, they're so far behind. I think they're still using like those arquebuses, like, which are, you know, you light the wick and that kind of gunpowder stuffing down the barrel kind of thing, like super old-fashioned guns. But of course, in Japan, they are bringing in very, very modern um, guns where you just can pull the trigger multiple times, like more sniper-style things. So Yihan's got one of those, and he really knows how to use it in a very terrifying way, which we don't know at this point in the drama. So he goes off to war, and this part of the drama was fascinating to me. Like I, it was so gritty and dark, but so interesting. I never knew like, what's it like being for these conscripted soldiers? You know, they, they don't get a wage obviously. So, but they have to provide their own food. If they try and defect and run home, they get shot in the head, but they have to be able to feed themselves. So if you're like a very low class and you have no money, what do you do? You just starve until you die. And because Yihan, luckily, you know, his evil dad is kind of rich. He has enough money to buy himself some more food. Um, so he's okay, but the conditions are really terrible. They're basically just marching around, going into battles and lying on the ground to sleep. So he's getting really sick and really just disillusioned with the world. And then they're all hanging out on this beach, like all the conscripted soldiers. And, you know, there's been some runaway soldiers who tried to run away. They've been dragged back. There's three of them. And, um, you know, the government kind of people in charge, because this is kind of like there's some people are proper royal soldiers who have been sent from Hanyang. Um, and then there's all just the local conscripts. And the local conscripts are being treated like total shit by the people who are in the government. So like, you know, if you're in the military, you're still not as high as, you know, a Confucian scholar or a scholar elite, but you're still, you know, of a more noble class. So they are absolutely treating, you know, the conscripts in the worst way. Um, and so they pick Yihan as one of just random three people that they pick to basically murder these, these three dudes who've run away. And Yihan is standing there. Um, he has a sword and there's this moment, you know, like, does he not kill this man in front of him? Who's just a terrified like dude, because if he doesn't kill this guy, Yihan will get killed. Like that is absolute 100% 
sure that's what will happen. And Yi Han, you know, this is against his principles. This is not the kind of dude he is. He is an idealistic guy. He believes in being good. Um, but he does it. He kills this man. And then he walks away. And I think this is the point. He cracks. He just cracks straight away. This is way too much for him to handle. And from this point on, it's just like he's barreling down to the depths of not just what he can handle, but like going, oh, lying to himself and just making these, oh, he tries so hard, but it's, it's really, really tragic, but also like totally fascinating in terms of storytelling and character development. Um, you know, I don't even want to say anti-hero, like it's really dark shit. And the kind of decisions that Yi Han makes throughout, you know, his whole storyline is just, yeah, it's pretty full on. Like at first I had so much empathy for him. I could see where he'd come from. I could see why he was choosing to do these sometimes bad things. And, you know, he really was a lot of it in positions where I felt like he had no choice. It was really like, do you want to live or do you want to die? And if you die, you just have to go right now and just die. Like there's no choice of being a good person in this situation other than dying and so I felt so much empathy for him and then the drama progresses and progresses and eventually that empathy turns into pity like he is such a piteous character he's so lost and when he's lost he just does really terrible things um so it's fascinating so yeah I guess I mean that's so much uh, waffle. <laughs> so it's a very complex drama. Like I didn't even touch on like hardly any of the characters, hardly any of the storylines. And of course the main storyline is John Bong Joon's uprising, peasant uprising. And this is all true to life. We see like little title cards saying this particular battle on this particular date, this is who they were fighting. And so basically John Bong Joon and his peasant army, I guess I'll just give you a little bit of a slight overview before I stop waffling at you. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, they rise up in this kind of, the, the, this particular, I think it's like Jola, I don't know how to pronounce that, but Jola province, which is kind of like down south in Korea. Um, and they rise up and they're marching. So they go from their little town to the next big city, Jinju, and they actually take over this city. They're in there and there's all these different battles that happen. And eventually, um, oh, well, I guess they're actually fighting against you know, the Joseon army, but the Joseon army can't really handle this situation. Um, they are completely underprepared, like the military in Korea at this point, And frankly, throughout the whole of the Joseon dynasty was no good. Like they really didn't have good infrastructure and it, they didn't have any weapons. <laughs> so they're very like, and not really many people either. It's just, I don't know. Um, so they can't really handle, the king can't handle the peasant uprising. Um, so what happens is Ming gets called on for help. So Ming, uh, not Ming, sorry, Qing at this point, isn't it? Uh, so China, basically. Um, and Korea is a vassal state to China at this point still. But Qing is is crumbling. They've got their own problems, but they do end up sending a Chinese army into, you know, down into the peninsula to try and fight off Don Bong Joon um, to fight with their royal Joseon army. And Japan, meanwhile, who is rapidly modernizing, becoming unbelievably powerful, um, they have their eyes on Korea and the situation in Korea. And there is a 
kind of like a treaty thing between Japan and China at this point that neither would set foot into Korea without first notifying the other country. And this is, of course, because we're talking about two big powers with tiny Korea powerless Korea sandwiched in between them. And Korea is, it is a strategic point of attack, no matter which way you're coming from, I guess, from China or Korea. But China at this point has a lot of internal problems um, that they are, you know, multiple different things are going on there. Um, So Japan kind of uses that as an excuse. They're like, well, China's sending their troops in, so we have to retaliate and send our troops in. And they send troops into Joseon and march on the capital. So they don't care about the peasant uprising. This is just an excuse to gain a foothold in Korea, you know, legally. Um, So they pretend they're there to, you know, just calm things down or whatever. But basically, um, the army is there to kind of take over realistically and turn the king and queen into powerless puppet king and queen and it really is the beginning you know this is only 1894 and I think Korea isn't annexed I think until 1910 I could be wrong on that I can't really remember but you know there's still 15 years or something um, before Japan sort of openly fully occupies Korea but this is You know, it's the roots of it and it's all happening, Um, which just made me so sad when I realized that to think like, you know, all these peasants uprising and, you know, the stuff that they want is just basic human rights. And this is what it leads to like. Um, But basically, um, because now there's this other threat and everyone in Joseon and the government and also the peasant uprising, so John Bong Joon, uh, are feeling really, really worried and terrified about the fact that the Japanese have come in. Everyone's very aware of how powerful Japan has become. And they're very, very scared. So um, the king kind of sends out a big, I don't know, general dude to go and meet with John Bong Joon and they agree to his reform requests. So Jong Bong Joon gets his reform only in Jolo province, but it's insane. So stuff that, and this is a real thing. You can read it online. Um, He's like, I think it's like 12 points or something of things that he wants. One of them is he wants, um, you know, widows to be allowed to remarry because, I mean, technically, I think at that point it was, maybe it was legal, I thought, but it's such a stigma. It's very, very bad. Um, So it's all this like basic human rights. Like he wants um, butchers uh, who are part of, I think it's Beksung, is it? Like the lowest low class. Um, So even commoners would like spit on butchers and stuff, like to be given names and treated as humans. And he wants to get rid of all the corruption and punish the corruption. And he wants to create like a, um, I can't remember what it's called, but basically an office in every city or every town. So you have the magistrate's office, which is the government, governing that area and then you'd have his reform office basically to make sure the magistrate isn't fucking things up and that reforms come in and the biggest one of all of course he wants to abolish slavery the government agrees they give him the reforms only in that province and so then the next part of the drama is kind of like trying to implement these reforms and you know all that that it leads to but then of course the Japanese become a really big threat um and John Bong Joon re-raises his army to try and fight the Japanese, um, to try and expel the Japanese army from Joseon. 
Uh, so it's intense. It's so intense. I've talked for so long about the setup and I've still got stuff I loved. Oh my God, this episode is so intense. Um, intensely long <laughs> is what I meant. It's such a good drama though. All right, I'm going to do stuff I loved now. I'll try and be a bit brief, but I don't know if it's possible. Okay, so stuff that I loved about Noctu Flower. Um, my first point is the whole show. It is such a solid show. It's written so well. I don't feel like there's any like proper lag. The last four episodes had me on the edge of my seat, just sobbing the entire time. This is such just a high quality show. I know I keep saying that, but it's really good. So I loved the setting. I loved this kind of this tumultuous time of change in Joseon. Um, it just... I think it's so well realized um, and it's explored from so many different angles, like the idea of, you know, so many people reacting differently to this same, these just out of this world, huge events that are occurring in Joseon. So you think of the noble, um, you know, the noble guy who is resisting and no way does he want free slaves and to allow his precious noble sister to marry someone of lower class you know and then you have someone like Becky Kung who has gone from being a no-name scum of the earth to being a proud man who has his own name who does the right thing who believes he's a good person who's standing up for what's right in the world and can just you know he's so proud at the idea that his his mother's slave papers could be burnt and that she's a free woman like and then you have someone like Yihan who i think is very fascinating because unfortunately for Yihan you know his time being educated in Japan obviously he's very taken by the modernization and what he keeps calling civilization of Japan you know he feels like Joseon is really backwards it's corrupt it doesn't work he hates that there's nobles and slaves and he thinks it's all wrong and he's not wrong right those things are not good they're not working Joseon is is not a powerful nation and Yi Han wants Joseon to be strong and good um, and you know in his eyes civilized um, but and the other thing that I thought was interesting and made so much sense to me about Yi Han's sort of the way that he's looking at Japan at this point in history is that we, you know, I don't know much about Japanese history and I don't really know much at all about the, the lead up to what made Japan modernize so quickly and become so powerful so quickly. Um, but in the drama, he's kind of talking to this sort of um, Japanese sort of general dude, sort of a general, I don't know what it was. And this guy is, you know, he's from the peasant class. He's not anyone of noble birth, but he has risen high up in the Japanese government to be a very high up, like minister, or I don't know what he was. Um, but, you know, he, this is a, a peasant guy doing that, someone of not noble birth. So Yihan is seeing that Japan has turned itself on its head. And as this, like, Japanese guy tells him, like, it wasn't the nobles that instigated this change. It was the people. The people have changed the world in Japan and look how strong they are. And Yihan sees that and he wants that for Joseon. But unfortunately, he turns to Japan to get that for Joseon. Um, and he thinks he's doing the right thing. Or as he says later in the drama, maybe he was lying to himself all along because it was, you know, the easy option. And he just wanted to believe he was doing the right thing. 
But of course, he ends up supporting Japan, like being pro-Japan when Japan are really coming in and taking over and decimating a lot of people, um, killing a lot of people. So, yeah, it's it's not great his choices but it was very fascinating to see how an idealistic educated young man of that time might think that that's the answer um and then there's you know like um kind of a lowly guy who I didn't totally love but you see him throughout the drama um he's like secretary Beck's like right hand man at the start and you see him get pushed down to the very bottom as a slave and then come back up and join the Japanese and all sorts of stuff and I don't know and then you see people who are part of the righteous army kind of turning away from that and you know betraying John Bong Joon at the end and leading to John Bong Joon getting arrested and you know eventually spoiler alert but it happened in history executed um so yeah it's very the change aspect of this drama feels so real and it's fascinating like the idea that okay this is skipping to the very very end of the drama (laughs) i'm all over the place but the very last scene is they introduce um you know this very young guy you know everyone's starting to wear western style clothes at this point and have like you know, better equipment like guns and stuff. And they're part of the Righteous Army and they introduce um, us at the very last scene to this young soldier. He's not a soldier. He's just a young dude, like a farmer dude. And he's on the run because he's just killed a Japanese lieutenant and he's joining the Righteous Army. And the camera really makes a big deal out of this guy. So immediately I was like, I'm going to Google him because I can see this is someone important. Um, And he was. He's someone who like is probably apparently um, one of the most famous figures of modern Korean history um, who worked so hard all his life for Korean independence, Um, you know, as a 17-year-old joining the Righteous Army. And I can't remember why I brought this up, but I guess, you know, talking about this time of change. Oh, so this guy, you know, this guy who becomes so famous, he's born in like something like 1875. And you know, he's born into a time of strict slavery and nobles and this class difference and, you know, absolutely 100% Joseon culture. And then by the time he dies, um, I think he gets assassinated, sadly for him, in 1949 by apparently like the, the next president's, um, some, someone under the next president, the next president is like full on dictator basically in South Korea. Um, but anyway, um, by the time he dies in 1945, you know, the world has changed beyond the scope of imagining from what it was like in Joseon when he was born. And I just can't even get my head around, around that. It's so fascinating. Anyway, I said I was going to be quick, but (laughs) I'm not. Um, so anyway, that was all great. Uh, Yoon character as Baek Yi-han. So Yi-han fascinated me. One of the things I really loved at the start, you know, once he gets conscripted, um, eventually he finds out that the reason he got conscripted, he was supposed to be exempt because he's studying for the civil service examination in the city and all like, you know, students are exempt. Um, but they couldn't find his record that said he was a student. Um, it was burnt. I'm doing little finger thingies, burnt. Um, and he finds out that it was his mentor, the scholar noble guy, who did this, who got him conscripted and hoped that he would die in the war just so he wouldn't have to let this lower class man marry his sister. And it 
destroys Yihan. Um, so it's very fascinating what it does to his character, but it led to a part of the drama that I loved, which is this weird, like, very taut sort of thriller-feeling cat-and-mouse game between Yihan and this scholar noble guy. Um, because Yihan comes home after the war and he's he's a different person. He is scary as fuck and he isn't marrying Myung-shim anymore and he's he's just out for revenge because this man was the man he respected most in the whole world, this scholar guy, and he fucked him over. But the cat and mouse element of it is amazing. Like they're both out to get each other, but they're both trying to do it like, you know, in these really subtle ways. And one of the was such a good moment is Yihan, you know, the second war is coming and, you know, he has to go off again and he manages to talk the magistrate into making the noble scholar guy go as well. And then, of course, the noble scholar guy sees the reality of war and realizes what he did to Yihan by sending him there and that he has destroyed a young man like it's so fucked up. It was amazing. It was so good. Um, so another thing I love was just like all the grit of the war and the battles, like particularly following Yihan through, but also um, Becky Kung as a righteous sol- soldier. It's all, I think it's just done in a really, really amazing way where you really feel like this is something that happened. It does make it more distressing, of course, but I prefer to see it as truth than I think, you know, be too stylized, like no one's doing like mad flips or whatever. <laughs> uh, so it's very gritty. Um, I was really interested when Yihan comes back from being a con- const- conscripted soldier. It's really hard for me to say. Um, there's this whole thing about him having, you know, PTSD, sort of hears these loud noises and he can't breathe and he's having a panic attack. And I just thought it was such an interesting kind of progression for his character. And it's like, I don't know, he goes to such dark places and then he'll have a moment like that and you just can't help but feel like he's still just this, you know, this lost little boy. And it's so heartrending. Um, and then, uh, so... There's this one scene, so kind of like after that, the PTSD thing, uh, PTSD kind of panic attack and stuff. Um, he is in love with Myung-shim and Myung-shim is kind of going against the wishes of her older brother to, you know, be with Yihan basically and to try and make it so that eventually maybe they'll be allowed to get married. And he's very, you know, he's very tentative about this. He, he still is quite, finds it quite extraordinary, I suppose, that this is something that might happen. Um, but, you know, all these righteous soldiers are running around the countryside. And I also liked that all the righteous shoulder, soldiers aren't shown to be like perfectly good people. Like you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of starving you know, poverty-stricken dudes running around the countryside. And some of them, of course, are very, very scary. And by that, I mean super rapey. Um, So there's a lot of not great stuff happening because slavery has been abolished. Suddenly, like, there's no kind of class system and everyone's like, why should we treat the nobles so well? So unfortunately, there was this practice where lower class people were then trying to forcibly marry noble women um, to lower class dudes. But basically, you know, you can imagine what that was like for, you know, some woman who doesn't want to get married to some random that she doesn't know. So yeah, really horrific stuff. But anyway, that is about to happen to Myung-shim. And there's this scene that just like, it's crazy. It's so intense. Um, Yi-hun just walks in there with his rifle and he just, he murders 
everybody. Like, I've never seen a scene like that in a K-drama before. It was so intense. And then, you know, he kills the nobles who were there to save her. He kills um, the righteous soldiers who were there to rape her. And then he walks right into her room and there's a righteous soldier in there and he just shoots this guy in the head right in front of Myongshim. The blood is just all over her. And then he just stands there and he's covered in blood and he just kind of, I don't want to say last, but that moment of just like lets out his breath in this like bitter way where, you know, he's laughing, mocking, I guess, self-mocking. And he's just like, you know, I didn't want you to see me. Like this is what he's been doing, but he didn't want her to ever see him like that. And then he just walks away and he walks out of that town and he walks off and he joins the Japanese. Um, it is intense. Um, so, if, you know, it's weird to put that under stuff I love, but it is just it is done so well. And I've just never seen anything like it. I just had like my hands over my face when I was watching it. I said I really enjoyed Becky Kung's um, redemption story, um, which for me really culminates in there. So towards the end of the drama, there is a huge battle scene. And to put that under stuff I loved is a really difficult thing to do because it was the hardest part of this whole drama for me to watch. It was so intense. And basically, it is a true thing that happened where uh, John Bong Joon's rebel peasant uprising army come face to face with the Joseon army, which is only very small and isn't that great but also the Japanese army who have now sort of taken over the capital city sort of using the king as a puppet king and they've sort of forced the king and the Joseon soldiers to march on their own people alongside the Japanese army so this is a real battle that happened I think this is in still in 1984 or maybe it's 1985 in this place there was 30 I think maybe like just over 30,000 peasants or you know sorry righteous soldiers there I think maybe like 35,000 or something righteous soldiers and there was something like I think like 200 Japanese and maybe 2,000 Joseon soldiers I'm really making up that those numbers but it was something along those lines but of course the Japanese army has like machine guns and things like that and the righteous army have bamboo sticks so there is a battle there is multiple waves and we see this but this is a real thing 30,000 righteous soldiers died on this one day like it is too much to get your head around and the drama shows it they show it and I've never seen anything like it I just cried and cried and cried so it, it happens in waves in the drama so there's like the first wave and then everyone dies and then they go back to camp and they try again and they come back and this is the point where John Bong Joon in the drama it's like this you know we're losing people are dying this is all because of me um I have to disband the army because I just cannot deal with all of this death. It's too horrific. And Becky Kang goes out to talk to everyone. And this really got under my skin, this scene, because, you know, in every movie you watch, um, or every, um, you know, non-Korean drama, you know, um, when there's a big battle scene, the general comes out or, you know, the hero comes out and he gives a big stirring speech. And every time I see this, I'm like, that's cheesy or like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, that wouldn't work. And I have never seen like a pre-battle speech, like the one that Ye Becky Kong gives in Noctu Flower in my life. Like, it made me cry. And he is crying. And he's not like, 
it's so roused, like it works, but he's not trying to inspire people to go into battle. He's talking about why he can't stop fighting. And his whole reasoning is because he wants to live in a different world. So the whole peasant uprising, I should have said earlier, is um, a Dong Hak peasant uprising. Uh, Dong Hak Rebellion. So Dong Hak is, is actually a religion um, that was formed in Joseon. And the people who followed it believed that men were equal to the heavens. So therefore, if men are equal to the heavens, why are there nobles and why are there slaves? All men are equal, basically, is their whole thing. Therefore, you know, why Don Bong Joon requested for slavery to be abolished and stuff like that. Um, so it's incredible, but it, it's a religion. But they say that quite a lot of the righteous soldiers, because um, they're kind of like the inner core were probably Dong Hak followers, but a huge amount of the followers of the um, the peasant uprising were not Dong Hak followers as well. So it's kind of this this ideology for this, um, they keep saying egalitarian, you know, future um, coming out of this religion. But really, it's a movement that's far expands just that like it, it, it or includes a lot more than that and it's much more inclusive than only you know Dong Hak followers um but you know Becky Kang is talking about this idea of in his speech before this battle this this idea of um you know men being equal to the heavens and he's saying that this is the world that he wants to live in he wants it so bad and then he's saying you know that he did for a few months there in Jolla province um before you know they had to raise the army again it was working you know that the slave papers were burnt people called him by his name and if you're a butcher and you didn't used to have a name people were calling you by your name and this is what he talks about this you know having a name, being human, and he refuses to go back to how it was. And that's why he's going to fight. It made me cry. It was such an incredible speech. And uh, the actor Cho Jong-sok was just like, it was bonkers good. Um, and I've never seen one of those be good. They're always shit. <laughs> um, so uh, I haven't really mentioned Jan very much. Um, so the female lead song Jian, played by Han Ye Ri, but I've got her on my list of stuff that I really loved. Um, she has a lot. It's just like it's not big, big, big stuff for me to kind of talk about in this because um, there's so much to talk about. But she has a very, very interesting arc that I really, really enjoyed. Like she is, it's all for her about the idea of is money really the most important thing in the whole world? <laughs> and, you know, what else is important and what is she willing to sacrifice to make money? And it kind of comes down to, I guess, through falling in love with Yikang and seeing him fight as a righteous soldier, but then particularly when the Japanese come over into Joseon and seeing what this future might lead to um, really changes her mind. Um so I don't know. I really liked this character. She has a romance also with Becky Kung um, throughout the drama that I thought was done really, really well. For me, I wouldn't say it's like heart poundingly addictive, but it I cared about them and I really wanted them to be together. So yeah, it was really great. And I just really love Han Yuri, the actress. I think she's very, very good and she's very good in this. Um, 
There's so many scenes with her that I really love, but I'm not going to, yes, it's just no time. <laughs> it's been going on for too long. So I said I really loved the side characters, um, which I did. You know, obviously, Don Bong Joon, but also all his generals, the conversations around their decisions, like the weight of responsibility on these men is insane. Um, but also the side characters that are fictional. So there's like the little Righteous Army Detached Corp, um, which uh, Becky Kung becomes the leader of. I loved them. Um, and I thought all their stuff was really interesting interesting and of course uh Song Jae-in the female lead has her like you know charming Ajushi guy as her right hand dude and he's just great he's always great and everything all right so now stuff I didn't love as much and the end and then maybe I'll stop talking who knows all right so this is stuff I hated was the dad secretary Becky was the worst but also in saying that that's not like a drama fault that wasn't something I didn't like about the drama that was just like a very well realized terrible character like they did such a good job of writing this man I think he felt very believable in his you know this kind of entitlement I think it's a very interesting thing like he's obviously been in moments of extreme poverty in his past and he you know is of not a noble class and he doesn't have opportunities but instead of you know I don't know it but it's like he has this this victim complex about it that has turned him into someone who thinks he deserves those things and you know Maybe he does. That is a terrible class system and it shouldn't be that way. But he thinks he deserves those things. And therefore, you know, he sort of like thinks he's a special snowflake, I guess, that's better than everyone else. And therefore, it doesn't matter if he steps on everyone to get what he wants. Um, so I found his character very interesting, but also he is the root of all evil in this drama. Like, really, he is. Um, you know, he almost destroys Becky Kung's life by turning him into, you know, this thug. But Becky Kung breaks free. Unfortunately for Yi Han, the, the legitimate son, he's unable to break free. Um, and it's painful. Like, um, he makes the worst decision. At the end, he kind of realizes that he's done something you know, bad by supporting the Japanese army um, and getting 30,000 people murdered. Um, and he you know, gets, um, Yihon gets promoted to be a magistrate and he chooses to go back to his hometown. And for me, I was like, don't do, like, he's done so many bad things. Like, I don't know, does he deserve redemption or not? I don't know. Um, but by going home back into the clutches of his father, who believes that everything's wonderful because Yihan is now a magistrate and everything was worth it. And Yihan's the best person in the world because everything he did led him to this point and that he needs to go further and push harder and, you know, destroy more people to get higher. Like, it's the worst move. It's just, yeah. Uh, and also, you know, oh, Secretary Beck, gross, hate him. Okay, that's probably enough. Oh, actually, no, it's not enough because I made a note that I wanted them to something else I wanted to say. There's this incredible scene at the very end. So Yihan is a magistrate. He comes back, obviously, to his hometown and everyone's like, you know, pouring him drinks and treating him to a little giseng party or whatever. And Yihan is just sitting there. He just looks like a catatonic zombie. It's like he, I don't know, reality's setting in and he knows that what he's done, like, with the Japanese is not good. And he also knows that he is a magistrate because of it. Okay, 
sorry I just had to turn it off then and run to the door to open it but now I'm back and I'm not going to edit this out because there you go so what I was saying is so Yihan you know he's come back to his hometown and he's a magistrate because of the Japanese but when he gets back he's getting treated like royalty by you know everyone's there to look after him even nobles are trying to like suck up to him and one of the nobles is like you know isn't it great our town's gonna have so much power now because you know you're in with the Japanese and Yihan is horrified like it just cracks and he's you know he starts screaming in Japanese to everyone um, because he's just horrified that everyone's willing to sell out the country but also he's horrified that he already has so he turns into like he's just sitting in his room later and he's completely catatonic and he's just sitting he doesn't want to see his family and his dad comes in and his dad is basically like you're the best. You've done such a good job. This is great. Like, just keep doing this. Like, just remember, you need to, you know, don't freak out like you just did. You need to go full goblin, which I haven't even mentioned, but the whole theme is like he, Yihan is losing his name and becoming the goblin. Um, and, you know, you need to go full goblin and you need to step on everyone. And Yihan just looks up at his dad and he's like, you know, am I, does that mean I should step on you? And it's such a, interesting moment I liked it so much and um it just felt so true because the dad's obviously like you know in his head he's like not me and you're like oh there's this mentality that this father has that has just destroyed his son's life and led him to go this far um so other stuff that I didn't love so this is just like I hated the battle scene <laughs> no I didn't hate it it's done so well it's so good but it just really broke my heart and made me cry so much that's the big one where 30,000 people die it was really hard to watch but it's done so well I also hated seeing the execution of Don Bong Joon and his fellow generals again done so well made me cry also it's real so it's just like oh it's intense um what else? Oh, there was only like one quibble I had that's an actual quibble with the drama. So one of the righteous soldiers is this young woman and she's in love with Becky Kung um, and sort of follows him around to the very end and she dies and you know they're going to be really, you know they love her, you know how sad they are that she dies but because of the events of the drama, you know, and them getting arrested immediately before they even really realise that she's been killed, I just wanted to see their grief just a little bit because otherwise I felt really sad for her because she was really, really in love with Becky Kung and I just wanted to see a little bit of emotion even though you know the drama had done so well to build up their friendship that I knew he would so it wasn't you know anything like that all right so I just want to talk about the very end of the drama and then I'm gonna end this episode um before you know I don't know before this lasts forever maybe um the ending, so for me, I feel like there's almost two endings, and this both happen in the last episode. So three quarters of the last episode is, yeah, it is people dying. That's what it is. And it's so sad, and it's so moving, and it's so heavy and weighty, and it feels like the ending this drama needed to have. Um, and then there's an extra little tacked on ending, which I think is meant to signify the hope of, you know, the fact that that Don Bong Joon's legend will never die. It lives on in the next generation of righteous soldiers and the next um, because, you know, Korea is occupied for a very long time after this and so many more people sacrifice their life for Korean independence. And I think the drama is trying to kind of show that that spirit of the Korean 
the Korean people, I guess, the common people. Um, so, and I did like it. It was a bit weird and quirky, though, just after watching such dark shit just before it. So that was a bit full on, um, but it was okay. I didn't mind it. Um, but for me, you know, obviously the execution of Don Bong Joon and his generals is, you know, that's a huge ending of the show. Um, I thought it was done amazingly well. And then the other big ending of the show is the death of Yi Han. So, you know, after having this conversation with his dad, um, Yi Han, you know, nearly gets shot in the street. And this is by the, the woman righteous soldier who's an excellent sniper. And he just sits there like he just waits for her to kill him. And she unfortunately is really unwell and sick and dying. So she doesn't manage it. He only gets shot in the arm. But he just barely like... I don't know. It's like he's already dead. I don't think he would have cared in the slightest if he'd been killed, but he isn't. And he gets up and he shoots her in the head because this is just, you know, this is who he is now. This is what he is. Um, so he finds out that um, his brother, Yi Kang, is back in town. Um, and Becky Kang and the rest of the righteous soldiers, I think there's only one at this point, get arrested and put in the little jail at the magistrate office. And Yi-Hung goes in, he gets everyone else taken out and he sits. Um, so his, his brother, Becky Kang, is in the cell and Yi-Hung is outside of the cell. And of course, their relationship throughout this entire drama, they keep meeting, they're on separate journeys, but they keep meeting and it's the core relationship of the entire show. It's incredibly moving and beautifully done, um, but really heartrending. I loved this final scene between them. Like Becky Kang is having none of it, but Yihan is sitting there in his magistrate outfit and, you know, he's crying. And I don't know, he basically says that Becky Kang is going to get moved to the next city and he's going to get executed the next day and Becky Kong's like yeah well whatever I always knew it was going to happen and I'll go first and I'll you know I'll save your spot like you know it's kind of a menacing thing like you're going to follow like someone's going to kill you for sure and Yihan kind of looks at his brother just before he leaves and Yihan says um something like you know when I see you again when I get there you know on the other side see you on the other side can I say your name and there's this moment and it's so sad but I loved it where Yi Kang you know he says to Yi Han if you're the goblin you can't say my name but if you're Becky Han then you can and Yi Han like you know has little tears coming out of his head and stuff and it's really moving because this is the point in the whole drama where the goblin returns to being Becky Han so that when he goes over to the other side, he can greet his brother by his brother's name. And it, oh, it's such a good last moment between them. So Yihan fucks off back home and Becky Kung realizes that this little lunch bag that his brother's given him actually has a key. And his brother's also told him where to go and hide that the patrols don't know about. So Becky Kung and all his righteous soldiers are able to escape and they're not going to die. But Becky Kung knows that something is wrong. So he runs back home to the house and he doesn't get there in time. And we see that Yihan has walked in, again looking catatonic, and in front of his family, holds a gun to his head and shoots himself in the head. And that's it. He's gone. And he says to them, like, something like, I can't even remember, something like, you know, this is my final gift to you, my death. Like, it's fucked. But also, I don't know how else they could have ended his story. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Um, that's, that's everything. There's the little jaunty bit at the end. So I've said 
plenty enough um, and I won't say anymore <laughs> should you watch it if you still want to watch it after listening to me tell you all of that yes you should um, it's an incredible drama it's one of the best that I've ever seen for sure uh, it's incredible and it's definitely worth your time um, and understanding a bit more about this history I think helps me you know I really love learning about Korea and I think it helps me understand just a bit more of that legacy of the righteous soldiers that you know is this recurring I would say, source of pride for the Korean people, you know, throughout so much of Korean history. And it's a very interesting and very unique kind of thing, I think. So, uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved Noctu Flower so much. Um, and that's all I'm going to say on Noctu Flower, the 24-episode historical drama from 2019. that brings me to the very end of episode 95 of the k-drama podcast thank you all so very much for listening to this episode for this week um i didn't bother doing my little extra segments this week just because things got really long and you know the cat wanted food so i just stopped recording also i was tired <laughs> um so anyway i guess this is the part of the show um where i say a huge thank you to everyone who has decided to support the show on patreon you guys are the best. Um, I just want to say a special thank you to new Patreon supporters, Brittany Rice and Reese Rowler. I think I said that wrong, Reese. I'm really sorry. I tried. Reese Rowler. Uh, thank you both so very much for supporting the show on Patreon. That's very, very cool of you guys. Um, so I guess I want to say a big thank you to everyone else as well. Thank you for tuning in. I always appreciate it. It's very nice that I even have an audience. <laughs> it's very cool. Especially when I ramble on as long as I feel like I did this week. Um, it was a bit of a heavy drama to talk about, but my gosh, was it a good one. So that's it from me. I'll be back next week with another drama, a lighter one, in fact, a very silly light one, in fact. Uh, so I hope that you'll tune in then for that one. So until next week, this is Lee Evie. Thank you so much for listening over and out. <laughs>